Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. In this week's podcast, Ben Johnson shares his insights into core ETFs. Carol Hadorowitz and Catherine Lynch tell you about supply chain shortages. Christine Benz and Susan Jabinski discuss recession-proofing your portfolio. And David Harrell and Kevin Brown talk REITs. Let's get started. Here's Ben Johnson from Morningstar Research Services. Hi, I'm Ben Johnson, Director of Global ETF Research for Morningstar. And today I'm here to talk about what makes a core ETF, how core ETFs are used, and share three core ETFs that we like and tell you a bit about why. So what is a core ETF? You can think of core ETFs as the foundation of your portfolio. No different from your house, you want the foundation to be broad, to be stable and durable something that will stand the test of time. Core ETFs cover major asset classes like U.S. and foreign stocks and high-quality bonds. They're broadly diversified, and ideally, they also charge low fees. So how can investors use core ETFs? Well, at the risk of stating the obvious, core ETFs should feature at the core of an investor's portfolio. For many investors, these funds make up the bulk of their portfolio. For some, they can be the only components of a well-diversified portfolio. So let's talk a little bit about three core ETFs that we at Morningstar like and why. Three of our favorite core ETFs are featured in the basic portfolio. This is a model portfolio of ETFs that we regularly feature in the Morningstar ETF Investor Newsletter. These three funds are the Vanguard Total Stock Market ETF, the Vanguard Total International Stock ETF, and the Vanguard Total Bond Market ETF. In fact, that's all there is to this portfolio, just these three funds, which together give investors exposure to nearly every investable stock on the planet and the full spectrum of investment-grade U.S. bonds, all for a very tiny fee. These three funds embody the best traits of core ETFs. They're broadly representative of the asset classes they cover, they're cheap, and they're also incredibly tax-efficient to boot. Expand your investing horizons and look to the long-term with Morningstar's podcast, The Long View. Join hosts Christine Benz and Jeff Patak as they talk to influential leaders in investing, advice, and personal finance. Search for and subscribe to The Long View today. Now, here are Carol Hedorowitz from Morningstar Inc. and Catherine Lynch from Morningstar Research Services. Is it just me or do I know you from somewhere? Anyways, I have a question for you. What do cream cheese, exercise bikes, and microchips all have in common? You already lost me. What is it? All these products have been impacted by supply chain shortages. These shortages are nothing new, but major events like a pandemic or a war can disrupt the flow of manufacturing, shipping, and so on. The whole system's out of whack. Oh, is that why I can't find a better phone? It could be. A lot of products rely on microchips. Take automakers, for example. They stopped ordering the chips needed to make cars because they didn't expect demand to go up during the pandemic. Meanwhile, semiconductor companies were fulfilling the orders of the industries that did expect the demand. So what happened? Well, chip suppliers didn't have any inventory set aside for automakers, so we experienced a shortage. 
Since then, it's been hard to catch up with demand, especially when finding workers has been so difficult. Are shortages like this common? The short answer is no. This is the first time global supply chains have really been tested, and it's showing all our weaknesses in our current system. Eventually, these issues will work their way out, but in the meantime, I would expect some delays and shortages. That's good to know. See you around. You're welcome. Next, Christine Benz and Susan Javinsky from Morningstar Inc. tell you how to recession-proof your portfolio. Hi, I'm Susan Javinsky from Morningstar. Inflation and rising interest rates have rocked the stock and bond markets this year. And lately, another risk factor has emerged, recession. Joining me to discuss why the R word is coming up and how to protect your portfolio against it is Christine Benz. She's Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning for Morningstar. Nice to see you, Christine. Hi, Susan. Good to see you. So, Christine, are we seeing any signs of recession yet? Well, a key thing that market watchers have been keeping an eye on is the yield curve. In a normal-shaped yield curve, you see that yields slope up to the right, and that means that very short-term investors get paid less in terms of their yield than longer-term investors. Longer-term investors should get paid more because they're taking on more risk. One thing people have been looking at is that we've been seeing a little bit of a flattening of the yield curve recently, indicating that long-term investors are willing to accept lower yields or yields on par with what shorter-term investors are getting. And that has historically been a pretty good harbinger of economic downturns, economic weakness. When we've seen the yield curve flatten or, or certainly invert, that has tended to predict recession because it means that long-term bondholders are expecting yields to decline, which often happens in a recessionary environment. So we're not in a full-on yield curve inversion yet, but it's something to keep an eye on. It's something that has had economists a little bit concerned that further out into the future, there may be some recessionary pressures on the economy. So talk a little bit about some of the fundamental reasons that the economy would go into a recession. Because, you know, it seemed like the bigger concern for, for a while was the economy being overheated and contributing to inflation. So um, for many investors, maybe this talk of a recession is seemingly coming out of nowhere. That's true. And there are a couple of things, I think, to keep an eye on, a couple of fundamental underpinnings for some recessionary conditions. The big one is that the Fed is walking a tightrope. So if they raise interest rates too far, too fast, the risk is that that is going to disincentivize economic production, that people will borrow less, they'll do less, and that will put the brakes on the economy. So that's a big risk factor. Another one is inflation, that if we continue to see inflation, that we will see consumers pull back on spending, and that will uh, potentially be another thing that could contribute to a recessionary environment. So those are a couple of things that have economists watching closely. Um, but you're right, Susan, inflation and interest rates have been really the main things that everyone has been watching. So it's a little bit surprising to hear the recessionary talk now. And, you know, as, as you just sort of mentioned, you know, investors are trying to, you know, balance a lot of these risks, right? They're trying to balance the interest rate risk of their portfolio, the inflation risk of their portfolio. So now if they want to go in and figure out, okay, can I recession-proof my portfolio, what are some things they could be thinking about or considering? 
Well, historically, uh, high quality bonds have been pretty good ballast for stocks in recessionary environments. So we've we've seen this again and again over the past several decades where bonds are a good thing to own in a recessionary environment. The trouble is bonds are a bad thing to own in a rising interest rate environment, which is what we've had so far this year. So I think it doesn't make sense to completely disengage with bonds for the reason that they do tend to be pretty good protectors in recessionary environments. And anything on the stock side? Well, a couple of categories I would make sure that your portfolio includes. The key one would be uh, companies that make goods that people need no matter what is going on with the economy. So that would be consumer staples, companies that make toilet paper and paper towels and diapers. Also, um, pharmaceuticals makers tend to fare well in such an environment. Utilities would tend to fare pretty well. So the good news is that those companies are pretty well represented represented when we look at major market indexes. You probably have them in your portfolio today. So then let's look at the flip side. You know, which investments might be a little bit more vulnerable in an economic slowdown or recession? Sure. A lot of the things that would tend to be vulnerable are the very categories that have performed super well year to date. So anything that's very cyclical in nature, basic materials companies, energy companies, they're very, very leveraged to what's going on in the economy. They'll tend to behave poorly in a recessionary environment, which I think is a good indicator or a good um, sort of encouragement to not overdo those investments in your portfolio, even though we've seen them perform very well. They uh, could be vulnerable in a recessionary shock. So, Christine, let's pan out a little bit beyond the portfolio and talk about, you know, what things should investors be thinking about when it comes to their entire financial plan if they're concerned about a recession? A couple of things, Susan. I would say check your liquid reserves. If you're a working person, make sure that you have that emergency fund in place. We've seen the employment market be very, very strong, but that can turn in a hurry in a recessionary environment. So you want to make sure you have that buffer on hand. For retirees, I like the idea of them holding at least six months, but maybe more like two years worth of portfolio withdrawals in cash investments. They're there to serve as a buffer if the stock market goes down, if bonds continue to be jostled around. So check up on that. And then I think also to to be circumspect with respect to taking on new financial obligations. So if you're in the market for a home, for example, just making sure that you're not taking out more of a loan than you can really afford to be a little bit careful about the totality of your financial plan. It seems prudent at this juncture. Well, Christine, thank you for your time today and helping us walk us through a little bit about this potentially new risk factor that investors need to weigh now, the possibility of a recession. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. Thanks for tuning in. Lastly, here is David Harrell from Morningstar Investment Management with Kevin Brown from Morningstar Research Services. So in your report, uh, you did some great stuff. And one is you you basically ranked all of the REITs under coverage by their historical dividends. You created a, uh, a one-to-five rating based on, on multiple factors mm-hmm. and, and rated all of all the REITs, uh, rated the REITs and ranked them. And then you did the same uh, sort of looking forward uh, in terms of sustaining and growing uh, their dividends. Uh, so then you have this this ranking based on future dividends. Uh, you took the two of those 
two of those rankings added in the Morningstar star rating, I believe, and current yield to create uh, sort of an overall ranking of, of your REIT universe. And you came up with your three top picks, I believe, uh, currently. And I was wondering if you could share those with us. Sure. Uh, so the first company, um, you know, one to recommend is Federal Realty Trust. Um, it's a shopping center REIT. Um, you know, so it is one of the member, one of the three members of our in our coverage list that is in the S and P 500 dividend aristocrats index. Um, and it's a very strict standard to adhere to. Um, you have to not only, you know, not have any dividend cuts. You have to raise your dividend each and every year for 25 straight years. Um, it's very difficult for many companies to adhere to that strict list. Um, you know, again, only three of the 27 companies we cover um, actually manage that standard. Um, and Federal Realty, you know, stands out as being, you know, it's a real, it's a retail REIT, and many other retail REITs have had dividend cuts because of the pressures that they have faced um, from, you know, declining brick and mortar sales. Uh, however, Federal Realty has found a way to continue to raise it, and it's their top priority. Um, they want to make sure that they are able to continue to pay a strong, consistent dividend. And even during the pandemic, when you had the payout ratio go above 100% for a couple of quarters, um, they they stuck through it and have emerged out the other side back to their historic you know, level of around 85% uh, of AFO is where they pay out their dividend and they raise it each and every single year. Um, and so they've had... A, great track record. Um, and going forward, we think that they should be one of the top uh, retail REITs in terms of overall growth, uh, because they are focusing on some major development uh, projects of mixed use retail. So you not only have ground level of retail shops and big boxes, but on top of that, you're building office buildings, apartments, and hotels, um, which should give those retail shops a captured audience of, you know, somebody who always going to be there shopping at your at your stores, because frankly, that's one way that it, it's easier than online shopping to, you know, to go shopping in person is if you're just have to go down to the ground floor to go to the store. Um, so, you know, they've got some very large projects. They've completed some and that have been, you know, really well-reviewed. Um, and we think that Federal Realty is just a great, great uh, opportunity for not only for income-oriented investors, but anybody looking for a REIT investment. Um, the next company is Realty Income. Uh, they, this is a triple net lease uh, REIT, which means that, you know, they um, basically are not responsible for the vast majority of expenses towards maintaining their properties. They are, have retail tenants who are lease their uh, portfolio of assets that are all sort of the corner store. Say, imagine you know Walgreens and CVS uh, on the corner of major busy intersections, um, and they own those buildings. But the tenant is the responsible for all the operating expenses and also responsible for all the um, maintenance of the property itself. They have to pay for the maintenance. And so Realty Income just sits back and collects a, rent, a simple rent payment from them without having any major expenses. Um, it makes it a very safe, stable business um, and are able to uh, you know, 
even in in recessions, their cash flows are not changed very much um, because they have such a wide um, cushion between what the operator, the tenants. Uh, cash flows are versus the rent payments that their rent payments are never at risk of being uh, potentially cut. Um, and so because they have stable revenue growth, uh, they are able to promote a stable uh, income of dividend to uh, shareholders. And this is another member of the S&P 500 Dividend Aristocrats Index. Um, and they dub themselves the monthly uh, dividend company because Again, their top priority is paying out a dividend to shareholders. Um, so for they, a very a, stable- And they do that on, on a monthly basis, as, as they say. The, yes, they, they pay they, out a okay. monthly dividend, yes. Is that is that common within the industry or is that fairly rare? No, that is fairly rare. They're, they're the only ones in our coverage who pay out a monthly dividend. All the rest pay out a quarterly dividend. So, but they 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 dub themselves, they give themselves their own name of the monthly dividend company. I mean, they say dividend company because you know paying a dividend is again one of the top priorities for this company. Um, so, you know that's why they also are at the top of our overall rankings. And Kevin, your third pick was a was a firm that's uh, its cash flow was definitely impacted during the pandemic. Correct. Uh, that's correct. Uh, so our third recommendation is Ventos, which is a healthcare okay. REIT. Um, so they focus on three separate uh, healthcare sectors: uh, senior housing, which saw a very big impact from the pandemic, but also they own medical office and life science. And one of the things that we like about them is that they do have their life science and their medical office portfolios, which were not impacted by the pandemic and generally should be relatively defensive during most recessions. Uh, medical office is a portfolio that you know just should continue to grow at two, 3% every year um, and is insulated from most economic impacts. Life science is a sector that should have a significant growth ahead of it as you know, many pharmaceuticals continue to invest in their overall research capabilities and many universities are expanding their uh, research campuses. And so Ventos is the partner that can provide the clusters of life science buildings necessary to continue to fuel that growth. And they're seeing significant growth in the four, five, 6% overall growth every single year from that segment. So those two segments were not impacted by the by the pandemic. However, their largest, which is, represents about 40% of the overall company's cash flows, um, senior housing was impacted by the pandemic. But we think this provides a significant opportunity for growth going forward. Now, senior housing was one of the biggest things impacted by the pandemic because um, you know, seniors were very sensitive to the virus. Um, it wasn't that there was any major outbreaks at the facilities of Ventas. Um, it was more so that there were issues with the facilities being quarantined if there was any contact tracing that led to the facility. So if a visitor had uh, contact, you know, that if a visitor had um, the virus or if somebody who worked there may have had the virus, they would have to shut down the entire facility uh, for an extended period of time. And that meant that you were not bringing in new residents. Um, and so doing that several times uh, throughout the pandemic led to occupancies falling from the mid 80% range to the mid 70% range in about a year's time. 
Now, since the vaccine has been developed and started rolling out among the senior population, we've seen a significant recovery in occupancy, uh, with occupancy growing month over month, every single month over the past year, uh, since about March of 2021. And it's even continue to see positive growth through the Delta and the Omicron variants. Now, it's not back up to its prior levels, but it's encouraging to see occupancy start to get back up close to where it previously was. However, we think that occupancies are going to continue to you know, reach that level and then push through um, as we see the overall 80 plus population continue to grow. The baby boomers are just starting to age into uh, the target age for these facilities. Um, and so we, while the past decade, we saw the 80 plus population grow at an average rate of about one and a half percent, we're at about three percent uh, right now. And that uh, rate of growth is only going to continue to um accelerate up to around 7% by 2027. Uh, so that's a huge amount of demand growth. Meanwhile, supply growth, which had been above historical average prior to the pandemic, uh, construction starts went to about zero during the uh, height of the pandemic. And even today is still well below historical average. And since these facilities take anywhere from two to three years to build, you know, we see out, uh, you know, several years that we're going to have very low supply growth. So with uh, rapidly expanding uh, demand growth and low supply growth, we think that occupancy is going to continue to push northwards into around the 90% range, uh, which is where we were at back in 2010, 2011 timeframe. And back then we saw rent growth of four, five, six, seven percent uh, on an annual basis. And I think with that, you're going to see some very strong growth from senior housing. And that should therefore, you know, fuel strong cash flow growth, which should also fuel uh, strong dividend growth. Um, and okay. so we think that this is going to be a, a you know, company that's going to see lots of growth uh, going forward um, and, you know, should be a good investment for all investors, um, you know, for both those looking for uh, strong growing dividends, but also for investors looking for a company that's just growing its cash flows. Great, great. So it's it's one of the firms that did have have a dividend cut during the pandemic, but you're your outlook is very positive for, for the firm right now. Correct, correct. And historically, I mean, it, over the past, you know, 20 plus years, that pandemic cut, uh, just because of the uncertainty uh, of senior housing cash flows, that's the only time that they have cut their dividend. They made it through the 08-09 timeframe without cutting their dividend, even though the majority of companies we cover did cut their their dividend during that time period, Ventos did not. So this is Got the it. one exception uh, to to. Eventos's history. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. 
Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.